As we continue our study of the traditional list of the seven deadly sins, which are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, wrath, envy, and pride, I want to speak a few minutes tonight with you, study with you about greed. Greed. The inordinate desire for wealth is defined as uh, synonyms of covetousness or and or avarice. But let's begin with a scripture reading in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I want to begin reading with verse 17. Mark 10 and verse 17. We call him the rich young ruler. And this is Mark's account of Jesus' interaction with him. Now as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, but, but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered, this rich young ruler answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, and notice it says, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. One of the few who ever interacted with Jesus and left sadder than when he came to Jesus. What can we learn? Particularly as we examine these seven, what have been called the seven deadly sins. What do we learn about, about greed? Because it's, it's the simple fact that this rich young ruler went away filled with sorrow because he chose a different master. He chose more as his master. Consider the God called more and what the God called more promises. The God called more promises security. The more God claims that with, with more, you can control your future. In fact, if you just have more, nothing in the future can threaten you. And so powerful these claims are of the God called more that many make some life changing decisions in order to answer these type questions. Like in what will I major in college? What occupation shall I choose? Where shall I choose to live? And the big question is, will it get me more? Because this more God wants us to believe that if we have more, nothing in the future can control us or defeat us. But the more God's protection is really suspect. And let me point out a passage in 1 Timothy 6 that we'll come to a little bit later. Verse 17. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, instructing him or what some teaching to give to those who are rich. And he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust, notice, in uncertain riches. 
but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Command those who are rich not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to look down on others, but nor must they trust in riches because they are uncertain. You see, real security ought to be something in which we cannot lose no matter what happens on Wall Street. But the God called more promises security. The God called more promises influence. The more God says that those with little count for little. If you want to be somebody, you'd better get more. And if not careful, we can get caught up in this lie that my worth is determined by my net worth. Our worth comes from from God. After all, he created us and he loves us so much that he gave Jesus to die for us and that in him we can be recreated. We can be become Christians and we can become children of God. And that's the relationship from which we are to see our worth. Because of how much he loves us and what he's done for us. Not from our net worth. But if we ascribe our worth to stuff, then stuff becomes our God. And as the statement goes, so we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. But the more God promises security and influence... The more God also promises happiness. And we see this on television all the time in these commercials. Commercials try to sell happiness. And the message is that in order to be as happy as these people that you see on this commercial, you have to buy what they're wearing or drive the car that they're driving or etc. Infinity, really. But you have to, to do what they're espousing, they're selling in order to be, to be happy. And that kind of commercial does well in a culture that's invented the phrase, the one who has the most toys when he dies wins. And many times we're not careful, we get caught up in that. It's almost as if we've rephrased part of this age-old historical document in our country. That we believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. But the more God says that you can find happiness in the things that you purchase. But worshiping the more God is like drinking salt water. The more you, you acquire, the more salt water that you drink in order to try to, to quench your thirst, the more thirst you have. You remember Solomon who could quench his fleshly appetites, his lusts with anything that money could buy, that power could obtain. But his conclusion was this. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. It's vanity. So the more God has has its promises that it espouses. But notice what the more God really delivers. It delivers financial bondage. 
Our worship of more has made us a nation of borrowaholics. We all want more, even if we can't afford it, and it hurts our families. It takes a toll on our economy. And the, uh, this idolatry is destroying more marriages than immorality. It inhibits people from actively engaging and supporting the, the Lord's work. But what the more God actually delivers, it promises security, but it delivers financial bondage. The more God actually delivers not happiness, but emptiness of soul. In Luke chapter 12, we find this statement that Jesus made. Take heed and beware of covetousness. One of those, one of those synonyms for greed or avarice. Beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You'll remember the context is, is this brother that's come to Jesus to try to get him to settle the dispute that he's having with his brother about an inheritance. And Jesus basically tells him, that's not what I'm here for. But then he pinpoints the problem. Beware of covetousness. And what makes one's life whole? is not tied to the things that that person possesses. It's not wealth. It's not possessions that makes your life whole or full. A rich purse does not guarantee a life rich in purpose. Richness of having does not mean richness of being. One's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. So... This more God promises happiness, but it delivers emptiness of soul. It also delivers distance from Christ. And isn't that one of the main lessons we learn from the rich young ruler? He runs to Jesus. He's asking all the right questions. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points back to the law of which was in effect at that time. You remember the commandments. And he's able to respond, all these I've done since I was young. But just like Jesus pinpointed the problem with that brother who was wanting him to settle an inheritance dispute, Jesus pinpoints the problem with the rich young ruler. And the problem was not... With that 10th commandment of do not covet. But it was with the first, co- first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. Because when Jesus says go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And then come take up the cross and follow me. He's saying you're going to have to put me first. You're going to have to put God first. If you're going to have eternal life. And the message is we cannot serve two masters. And when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or love the one and despise the other. Be loyal to the one and despise the other. Notice the God, the false God that he mentions in contrast to the one true living God. You cannot serve God and mammon. An old word for for riches. You see, Jesus knew that the, the chief rival for the allegiance of men's hearts is wealth or possessions. And he's saying you can't serve both. Just like he told the rich young ruler, 
You've got to put God first. You must not allow things, material things, to become your God. So how do we defeat this popular God called more? What do we do to counteract this evil sin of of greed, of covetousness, of avarice? Well, there's some things we need more of. And let's identify three of those tonight. How do we reject the God called more? Number one, get more contented. We need to get more contented. First Timothy 6, verse 6, he speaks to this idea. And I, it's neat how the Apostle Paul uses the word gain. And that's what this God called more emphasizes is what we can gain and, and gain to make us secure and happy. But he said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. If you really want great gain, something, if you want to gain something that's really valuable, you must have godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. In order to counteract the false messages of this false God, we need to gain more contentment. The answer is not for us to get more, but to learn to desire less. We'll never be happy unless we learn to enjoy what we have. Many of you, I'm sure, have read or remember the book Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. And in it, Daniel Defoe writes about Robinson Crusoe, who was shipwrecked on this forsaken island, and how that he continued to persevere even through these difficult circumstances. And what kept him going was the constant reassurance that God was in charge. And at one of the lowest moments in the story, Defoe has Crusoe saying, I sat down to my meat with thankfulness and admired the hand of God's providence, which had thus spread my table in the wilderness. I learned to look more on the bright side of my condition and less upon the dark side to consider what I had rather than what I wanted. And this at times gave me such secret comforts that I cannot express them. And notice this line. All our discontents about what we want appear to me to spring from the want or the lack of thankfulness for what we have. I thought that was a notable statement. All of our discontents about what we want appear to me to spring from the lack of thankfulness for what we have. How how do we overcome this desire for more, this greed, this covetousness? The answer is to be thankful for what we have. The Bible calls this contentment. And God tells us that it can be learned. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living, whether living in plenty or in want. But Paul says he had to learn that art of contentment. To be satisfied, to be thankful 
for the blessings that he had. I believe that key, the secret, is in the very next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, contentment is not acquired by acquiring more. It's acquired by acquiring a new way of thinking, looking at what you already have through the lens of the grace of God. Hebrews 13.5 is a wonderful verse that speaks to this. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Instead, is the idea, be content with with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was reminded of this man who, who wanted to sell his property. A real estate agent came to him and asked him, well, describe it for me so I can advertise it. And, and he began to describe his property. And then the, the real estate agent took notes and then read it back to him. And the, the owner said, well, let me hear that again. And so the real estate agent Read, read his own description back to him of, of his property. And the man stopped and he thought a moment and he said, you know what? I've been looking for a place like that all my life. I don't think I'll sell after all. But you see, he failed to practice contentment until he learned to focus on what he had, on the blessings that, that he had. So to overcome this greed, this covetousness, we need to get more contentment. Secondly, we need to get more generous. More generous. You see, the more God says you are an owner, but the Lord God says you are a steward. The more God says getting more is the goal, the Lord God says having more is the means to the goal of blessing other people. I read about a study um, that was published in Science Magazine, a study done by the University of British Columbia and Harvard University. And the study, the results of it were entitled, Money Can Buy Happiness. So wait a second. But then I began to read this report, a synopsis of it. And this is what this study revealed. There is no marginal register of improved happiness just by getting more money. You can take a person making 45000 a year and suddenly raise him to 100000 a year and there is no noticeable improvement in their marriage or anything else that brings them happiness according to their results. In fact, the study reported that in a case like this, stress levels go up with the increase in income. But nevertheless, they did find that money can buy happiness. How so? This is what they found. What we learned is that it's not having more money that, it, that determines happiness, but how you spend what you have. We learned that giving away as little as $5 a day for benevolent causes will markedly increase a person's personal happiness. So their title, Money Can Buy Happiness, was a reference to what they found that generally people are more happy when they share what they have, when they give to a good cause. So in essence, what these two institutions published, what they found from this study was this conclusion. 
It's more blessed to give than to receive. Of course, we recognize that as coming from Acts 20, verse 35. Paul said to those elders from Ephesus, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that what Paul was stating to tell Timothy to teach those who are rich? Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But what else are they to do? Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. To overcome this greed and this covetousness that can destroy us. Paul's instruction to the rich was for them to focus rather on doing good with the blessings that that God has given them. To be rich in good works and ready to give, ready, willing to share. To be more generous is how we overcome greed. And thirdly, we need to get more perspective, more perspective. Let's continue that reading in 1 Timothy 6. Storing up for themselves. And the way they store up for themselves this good foundation for the time to come is what he has just said. Let them do good. Be, being rich in good works. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up that good foundation for the time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. And the imagery seems to be this. That if the rich had this sense of greed... And always wanting more. Their hands would be filled. So they wouldn't be able to lay hold on the greater blessing. The greatest blessing of all. Eternal life. That their hands would be so filled. That they wouldn't have the ability to grasp eternal life. You see if our life is centered on having more in this world then our happiness will always be contingent. It will always be dependent on whether or not we have those things. But lasting joy is not found in things that don't last. I read about a preacher, Ben Merrill and his wife, Pat. They were driving down the road and they got behind this pickup truck that was carrying a load of stuff, including some furniture. And all of a sudden, something flew out of the back of the pickup truck. Well, Pat said to Ben, well, you you get out and you gather this stuff and I'll chase them down and let them know that some stuff has fallen out of their truck. And so they can come back and, and get it. And so Ben got out and he gathered all the stuff that had flown out of the back of the pickup and he waited until his wife returned. But there was no one else with her. And he asked, well, well, did you catch them? Yes, she said. Well, are we going to take their stuff to them or something? She said, no, uh, they were just hauling it all to the dump. And here's the moral of the story. Many of us are killing ourselves so that we can have more stuff to take to the dump. 
It's what we need to counteract this desire for more, greed, covetousness. Is not to worship that which is destined to be burned up. Because the truth of the matter is, the one who dies with the most toys dies. And he can't take his toys with him. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And then, when he stands before God in judgment, when we stand before God in judgment, it'll be perfectly clear that the things that really matter are not things at all. That's not what's most important. What's most important is if we have Christ. Is if we've lived our lives for Him. Is if we've served Him. If we've served God supremely. I want to close with this passage from 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though He was rich. Reference to Him in heaven. Being with God. Being God. And all the glories of heaven. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He became in the likeness of men. He humbled himself even to go to the cross on our behalf. Philippians chapter 2. He became poor. For our sakes. So that through his poverty, Paul says, we might become rich. He became poor so that we might become rich. But we understand he's not talking about physical riches, is he? He's talking about riches and the things that really matter. Those things that are eternal. That are truly lasting. Rich in the things that we can never lose. Where's our focus tonight? Is it on things of this world? Are we succumbing to the God called more and focusing on rather on what we want rather than being thankful for what we have? We need to be more content, don't we? We need to get more generous with the blessings that God has given us. And we need to keep it all in perspective Recognizing the things in our lives that really, really matter. If tonight you're ready to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're ready to accept his offer of of spiritual riches that come through obeying his word, becoming a child of his. We hope and pray that you'll obey the gospel, be baptized into Christ even tonight. If there's some changes we need to make, publicly or privately, let's be sure to do those. And it may be that we desire the prayers of the church on our behalf. If that be the case, won't you let that be known as together we stand and sing.